0: Chapter 10, Part 2 of A History of the Philippines. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary McFadden. A History of the Philippines by David Barrows, Chapter 10, Part 2 The Economic Policy of Spain. RESTRICTIONS OF TRADE During the closing years of the seventeenth century and the beginning of the eighteenth, commerce seems to have been actually paralyzed. That brilliant trade which is described by Morga, and which was at its height about 1605, was a few years later defeated by the miserable economic policy of Spain, pandering to the demands of the merchants of Cadiz and Seville. Spain's economic policy had only in view benefits to the peninsula. The laws of the Indies abound with edicts for the purpose of limiting and crippling colonial commerce and industry, wherever it was imagined that it might be prejudicial to the protected industries of Spain. The manufacturers of Seville wished to preserve the colonies, both of America and of the Indies, as markets for their monopoly wares, and in this policy, for two centuries, they had the support of the crown. The growing trade between Mexico and the Philippines had early been regarded with suspicion, and legislation was framed to reduce it to the lowest point compatible with the existence of the colony. None of the colonies of America could conduct commerce with the Philippines except Mexico, and here all communication must pass through the port of Acapulco. This trade was limited to the passage of a single vessel a year. In 1605, two galleons were permitted, but their size was reduced to 300 tons. They were allowed to carry out 500,000 pesos of silver, but no more than 250,000 pesos worth of Chinese products could be returned. Neither the Spaniards of Mexico nor any part of America could traffic directly with China, nor could Spanish vessels pass from Manila to the ports of Asia. Only those goods could be bought which Chinese merchants themselves brought to the Philippines. Selfishness of Merchants in Spain Even these restrictions did not satisfy the jealousy of the merchants of Spain. They complained that the royal orders limiting the traffic were not regarded, and they insisted upon so vexatious a supervision of this commerce, and surrounded infractions of the law with such terrible penalties that the trade was not maintained even to the amount permitted by law spanish merchants even went to the point of petitioning for the abandonment of the philippines on the ground that the importations from china were prejudicial to the industry of the peninsula the colonists upon the pacific coast of america suffered from the lack of those commodities demanded by civilized life which could only reach them as they came from spain through the port of portobello and the isthmus of panama without question An enormous and beneficial commerce could have been conducted by the Philippines with the provinces of Western America. And here a footnote. Some of the benefits of such trade set forth by the Jesuit Alonso de Ovalle in his Historical Relation of the Kingdom of Chile, printed in Rome, 1649, in Churchill's Collection of Voyages and Travels, Volume 3. Trade between South America and the Philippines Forbidden but this traffic was absolutely forbidden and to prevent chinese and philippine goods from entering south america the trade between mexico and peru was in sixteen thirty six wholly suppressed by a decree this decree as it stands upon the pages of the great recopilacion is an epitome of the insane economic policy of the spaniard it cites that whereas it had been permitted that from peru to new spain there should go each year two vessels for commerce and traffic to the amount of two hundred thousand ducats which later had been reduced to one hundred thousand ducats and because there had increased in peru to an excessive amount the commerce in the fabrics of china in spite of the many prohibitions that had been imposed and in order to absolutely to remove the occasion for the future we order and command the officers of Peru and New Spain that they invariably prohibit and suppress this commerce and traffic between the two kingdoms by all the channels through which it is conducted, maintaining this prohibition firmly and continually for the future. And here a footnote. Recopilación de las Indias. Library 8. Title 45. Law 78. In 1718, the merchants of Seville and Cadiz still complained that their profits were being injured by even the limited importation of Chinese silks into Mexico. Thereupon, absolute prohibition of import of Chinese silks, either woven or in thread, was decreed. Only linens, spices, and supplies of such things as were not produced in Spain could be brought into Mexico. This order was reaffirmed in 1720 with the provision that six months would be allowed the people of Mexico to consume the Chinese silks which they had in their possession, and thereafter all such goods must be destroyed. Ineffectiveness of these restrictions. These measures, while ruining the commerce of the Philippines, were as a matter of fact ineffective to accomplish the result desired. Contraband trade between China and America sprang up in violation of the law, Silks to the value of four million pesos were annually smuggled into America. Here a footnote. Montero y Vidal, Historia de Filipinas, Volume 1, page 460. In 1734, the folly and uselessness of such laws was somewhat recognized by the Council of the Indies, and a cellula was issued, restoring the permission to trade in Chinese silks, and raising the value of cargoes destined for Acapulco to 500,000 pesos, and the quantity of silver for return to 1,000,000 pesos. The celebrated traffic of the galleon was resumed, and continued until the year 1815. An Attempt to Colonize the Carolines Southeastward of the Philippines, in that part of the Pacific which is known as Micronesia, there is an archipelago of small islands called the Carolines. The westernmost portion of this group bears the name of the Pelus or Palaus. Inasmuch as these islands were eventually acquired by Spain and remained in her possession down to the year 1890, it may be well to state something at this time of the attempt made by the Jesuits in 1731 to colonize them. Certain of these little islands were seen several times by expeditions crossing the Pacific as early as the latter part of the sixteenth century, but after the trade between Mexico and the Philippines had been definitely settled upon, a fixed course was followed westward from Acapulco to Guam, from which there was little variation, and during the seventeenth century these islands passed quite out of mind. But in the year 1696, a party of natives, twenty men and ten women, were driven by storms far from their home in the Carolines upon the eastern coast of Samar. It seems that similar parties of castaways from the Pelu and Caroline Islands had been known to reach Mindanao and other parts of the Philippines at an even earlier date. These last came under the observation of the Jesuit priests on Samar, who baptized them and, learning from them of the archipelago from which they had been carried, were filled with missionary ambition to visit and Christianize these Pacific Islanders this idea was agitated by the jesuits until about seventeen thirty royal permission was granted to the enterprise a company of jesuits in the following year sailed for the ladrones and thence south until the carolines were discovered they landed on a small island not far from yap here they succeeded in baptizing numerous natives and in establishing a mission fourteen of their number headed by the priest padre Cantava remained on the island while the expedition returned to secure reinforcements and supplies. Unfortunately, this succor was delayed for more than a year, and when Spanish vessels with missionary reinforcements on board again reached the Carolines in 1733, the mission had been entirely destroyed and the Spaniards, with Padre Cantaba, had been killed. These islands have been frequently called the New Philippines. CONDITIONS OF THE FILIPINOS DURING THE 18TH CENTURY During the most of the 18th century, data are few upon the condition of the Filipino people. There seems to have been little progress. Conditions certainly were against the social or intellectual advance of the native race. Perhaps, however, their material well-being was quite as great during these years when little was attempted, as during the governorships of the more ambitious and enterprising Spaniards who had characterized the earlier period of Philippine history. Provincial Governments Provincial administration seems to have fallen almost wholly into the hands of the missionaries. The priests made themselves the local rulers throughout the Christianized portion of the archipelago. Insurrection in Bohol Insurrection seems especially to have troubled the island of Bohol during most of the eighteenth century, and in 1750 an insurrection broke out which practically established the independence of a large portion of the island, and which was not suppressed for very many years. The trouble arose in the town of Inabanga, where the Jesuit priest Morales had greatly antagonized and embittered the natives by his severity. Some apostatized and went to the hills. One of these men was killed by the orders of the priest, and his body refused Christian burial, and left uncared for and exposed. A brother of this man, named Gohoy, infuriated by this indignity, headed a sedition which shortly included three thousand natives. The priest was killed, and his own body left by the road unburied. In spite of the efforts of the alcaldé of Cebu, de Gohoy was able to maintain himself and practically established a small native state which remained until the occupation of the island by the recollects after the Jesuits had been expelled from the Spanish dominions. Activity of the Jesuits During the 18th century, the Jesuits alone of the religious orders seemed to have been active in prosecuting their efforts and seeking new fields for conversion the sloth and inactivity which overcame the other orders place in greater contrast the ambition and the activities both secular and spiritual of the jesuits conversion of the sultan Alib Undin in seventeen forty seven they established a mission even on holo they were unable to overcome the intense antagonism of the moreau pandidas and datos but they apparently won the young sultan alim ud whose strange story and shifting fortunes have been variously told. One of the Jesuits, Padre Vielmi, was skilled in the Arabic language, and this familiarity with the language and literature of the Mohammedism doubtless explains his ascendancy over the mind of the Sultan. Ali Muddin was not a strong man. His power over the subordinate Datos was small, and in 1748 his brother, Batilan usurped his place and was proclaimed Sultan of Holo. Alimuddin and his family and numerous escort came to Zaboanga seeking the aid of the Spanish against his brother. From Zaboanga he was sent to Manila. On his arrival January 3, 1749, he was received with all the pomp and honor due to a prince of high rank. A house for his entertainment and his retinue of seventy persons was prepared in Bonondo. A public entrance was arranged, which took place some fifteen days after his reaching the city. Triumphal arches were erected across the streets, which were lined with more than 2,000 native militia under arms. The sultan was publicly received in the hall of the Audiencia, where the governor promised to lay his case before the king of Spain. The sultan was showered with presents, which included chains of gold, fine garments, precious gems, and gold canes, while the government sustained the expense of his household. And here a footnote. Relacion de la Entrada del Sultan REY de Holo in Archivo del Bibliofilo Filipino Volume one. Following this reception, steps were taken for his conversion. His spiritual advisers cited to him the example of the emperor Constantine, whose conversion enabled him to effect triumphant conquests over his enemies. Under these representations Ali Muddin expressed his desire for baptism. The governor-general who at this time was a priest the bishop nuevo segovia was very anxious that this rite should take place but this was opposed by his spiritual superior the archbishop of manila who with some others entertained doubts as to the sincerity of the sultan's profession in order to accomplish his baptism the governor sent him to his own diocese where at paniqui on the twenty ninth of april seventeen fifty the ceremony took place with great solemnity on the return of the party to Manila, the sultan was received with great pomp, and in his honor were held games, theatrical representations, fireworks, and bullfights. This was the high-water mark of the sultan's popularity. Failure to Reinstate Muddin. Meanwhile, the usurper, Batilan was giving abundant evidence of his hostility. The Spaniards were driven from Holo, and the fleets of Moros again ravaged the Visayas, In July arrived the new governor, the Marquis de Obando, who determined to restore Ali Bundin and suppress the Moro piracy. An expedition set sail, with the sultan on board, and went as far as Zaboanga, but accomplished nothing. Here the conduct of the sultan served to confirm the doubts of the Spaniards as to the sincerity of his friendship. He was arrested and returned to Manila, and imprisoned in the fortress of Santiago, with varying treatment, he remained in the hands of the Spaniards until 1763, when he was returned to Holo by the English. Great Increase in Moreau Piracy The year 1754 is stated to have been the bloodiest in the history of Moreau piracy. No part of the Bisayas escaped ravaging in this year, while the Camarines, Batangas, and Albay suffered equally with the rest. The conduct of the pirates was more than ordinarily cruel. Priests were slain, towns wholly destroyed, and thousands of captives were carried south into Moreau slavery. The condition of the islands at the end of this year was probably the most deplorable in their history. Reforms under General Arundia. The demoralization and misery which Obando's rule closed were relieved somewhat by the capable government of Arundia, who succeeded him. Arandia was one of the few men of talent, energy, and integrity who stood at the head of affairs in these islands during two centuries. He reformed the greatly disorganized military force, establishing what was known as the Regiment of the King, made up largely of Mexican soldiers. He also formed a corps of artillerists composed of Filipinos. These were regular troops who received from Arandia sufficient pay to enable them to live decently and like an army. He reformed the arsenal at Cavite, and, in spite of opposition on all sides, did something to infuse efficiency and honesty into the government. At the head of the armament, which had been sent against the Moros, he placed a Jesuit priest, Father Ducos. A capable officer was also sent to command the presidio at Zabuanga, and while Moro piracy was not stopped, heavy retaliation was visited upon the pirates. Arendia's most popular act of government was the expulsion of the Chinese from the provinces, and in large part from the city. They seem to have had in their hands then, perhaps even more than now, the commerce or small trade between Manila and provincial towns. To take over this trade, Arendia founded a commercial company of Spaniards and Mestizos, which lasted only for a year. The Christianized Chinese were allowed to remain under license, and for those having shops in Manila, Arundia founded the Alcaceria of San Fernando. It consisted of a great square of shops built about an open interior, and stood in Binondo, on the site of the former Parian, in what is still a populous Chinese quarter. Death of Arundia and Decline of the Colony Arendia died in May 1759, and the government was assumed by the Bishop of Cebu, who, in turn, was forced from his position by the arrival of the Archbishop of Manila, Don Manuel Rojo. The Archbishop revoked the celebrated orders of good government which Arendia had put into force, and the colony promised to relapse once more into its customary dormant condition. This was, however, prevented by an event which brought to an end the long period of obscurity and inertia under which the colony had been gradually decaying, and introduced, in a way, a new period of its history. This was the capture of the Philippine Islands by the British in 1762. End of Chapter 10, Part 2. A History of the Philippines by David Barrows. Recording by Gary McFadden.